Have you ever helped God out? You know what God's plan is, but you go, yeah, I think I think I could cut some corners here. I think I have found a quicker path. I think this might work better. But essentially, you kind of do your own thing. Uh, it's like a shortcut to faith. In other words, if I don't have to show, if I don't have to wait too long or, or demonstrate too much faith, and why should I bother God with this anyways when I can figure it out myself? And that's kind of the struggle that we're going to, the wrestling we're going to see today in the passage. We've been looking at the life of Abraham. And, and the, the thing I want you to see as we start out is this. The promise from God didn't come to Abraham because he was a model of integrity. He wasn't. He wasn't. I, I mean, he really wasn't. In fact, when God gives him the promise, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And you're going to have more children than you can count as the stars of the sky. And you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. He says that to him. And what does Abraham do? Instead of going to the promised land or saying, okay, God, where's the land? Here's the land. What He goes to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. Um, secondly, while in Egypt, he lies to the Pharaoh about his wife. Now, he does it out of fear. I get that. But he basically lies to the Pharaoh about Sarah. And he says to Sarah, listen. You're a beautiful woman. And if he knows you're my wife, it's for me. I, I'm not cool with that. Now, this is my interpretation of the text. Essentially, that's what's going on, I think. And so he says to Sarah, he says, why don't we do this? Why don't you tell everyone, and we'll tell everyone, you're my sister. And so... There won't be that tie and, you know, well, the problem was that Pharaoh did notice she was a beautiful woman and decided, yeah, I think I'd like to be with her. And uh, God kind of came to Pharaoh and said, hey, uh, there's a problem here. This woman is uh, already married and it's to this guy. And so Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's a little upset by this. And Abraham says, well, I was afraid. I was afraid. Now, what was the promise that God gave him? You are going to have many children with Sarah, your wife. Now, if, if you believe God, that God's going to carry that promise out through you and your wife, then it would seem to me that God's going to have to have some sort of protection plan, right? And he does. Ultimately, we see that. But he's doing it in spite of Abraham's faith, not because of it, right? Now, by the way, he doesn't just do this once. He does it twice. He lies about this twice. So it's not like, okay, I learned my lesson. I'll never do it again. No, it's like I haven't learned my lesson and I will do it again. And he does. Now, in our passage that we're looking at uh, today is we're going to see Abraham trying to bring about God's promises through his own human efforts. 
He's tired of waiting for God's promises, so he's going to do it on his own. All right, so that's the passage we want to look at. It's in Genesis 16, and I forgot to put the pages down, but it's the first book of the Bible, chapter 16. You could find that. Anybody can find that, right? Um, But let me read it to you, and I'm going to use their full names. I'm not going to call it Sarai and Abram. I'm going to say Sarah and Abraham because I keep switching back and forth, and their names are going to get changed soon enough, so that will work, right? All right, Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's plan. Proposal. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham, his wife. Uh, This happened ten years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. So the promise of God came, and there's been a delay. And, you know, both Abraham and Sarah are seeing this delay, and they're going, okay, what's going on? When's this promise going to happen? It's not happening soon enough, quick enough. You ever been there with God where you feel like, you know, God, you know, you're kind of dragging your feet. You could move a little quicker here. Need a little help. Hello. You know, and uh, that's kind of what's going on. But Sarah is uh, uh, it's interesting because Sarah's inability to, to conceive. It's not just a thorn anymore in their marriage. It's not just grief to her heart. Now it's an obstruction to the promises of God for a woman not to be able to bear children was a big deal. But it was more than that. It wasn't just a tense issue within their marriage because even if there were no promises of God, she had no children, and that was a big thing in that day. But more than that, now the promises of God are not happening because they can't bear children. And so this is a big problem. So Abraham and Sarah had no children, even though God had promised them descendants. So he said, they're going to be as... We looked at this last weekend. They're going to be as many as the stars of the sky. You won't even be able to count them. There's going to be so many. And they don't have any. You know, none. Zip. So she says to Abraham, here's an idea. Why don't you sleep with my servant? Now, one of the universal institutions that was commonly found in the book of Genesis and in ancient cultures was polygamy. Polygamy, polygamy, basically, as you know, basically said that a husband could have multiple wives. Now, just from a logical standpoint, this doesn't seem like a very good idea. But uh, it's one of those passages where she just makes the comment, and then Abraham just goes ahead and does it. He just sleeps with Hagar and has a child. And you go... It would have been cool if the Bible had said something. Like, I was thinking, what did I want to read in the text? What I wanted to read was right after Sarah proposed the idea, Abraham would have said, what are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? Or it would have been nice if the text had said something like, "Um, have you ever... Help God... Helped God, helped God out, helped God out, God out, out. But it, the Bible doesn't. And what the Bible's doing here is it's describing what's going on. It's not 
giving a commentary. Sometimes it will, but this time it doesn't. I want it here, but it's not there, okay? But in every generation, in every culture where polygamy was practiced, it wreaked havoc. Having multiple wives was an absolute disaster. It was a disaster socially, culturally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and relationally. It was an absolute disaster. In other words, Scripture doesn't choose to condemn polygamy by statement. What it does is it shows the effects of polygamy. So the reader can come to his own conclusion. The minute you read about it, you go, this didn't work out well. This was not a good idea. This was a bad idea. In other words, the Scripture is basically allowing the reader to see for themselves the outcome, the devastation of polygamy at every turn. Well, let's go on with the story. Verse 4, same chapter. 16, verse 4. Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, This is all your fault. We'll get to that in a minute. I put my servant in your, into your arms, but now she's pregnant. Now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, uh, you or me, Abraham replied. Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. I'll make a couple of observations about this. Number one, Abraham was a passive participant in this whole mess. Instead of listening to Sarah's plea to sleep with Hagar, verse 2, he should have said to her, No, Sarah, we need to keep trusting God and not take matters into our own hands. We can't abandon waiting on the Lord. That would have been a powerful statement had he made it. But as we know, he didn't. And instead of allowing Sarah to mistreat Hagar, verse 6, he should have said, No, Sarah, we did this. Now we have to live with it. Remember whose idea it was in the first place. Sarah's cruelty to Hagar would not have been possible if Abraham had stood up to Sarah. He shares responsibility for the mistreatment of Hagar. Abraham is a passive participant going on. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. That's true. Some of you are introverts. Some of you are, I'll mind my own business. And I get that, absolutely. But there are some times where you need to step up and you need to speak when you see things that aren't right. Edmund Burke said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men, good women, good young people to do nothing. And that's essentially what Abraham did. He did nothing. He did nothing to stand up and do the right thing. We are passive participants when we fail to act for the good of a person in distress, and we don't. 
When we have an opportunity to help, but we don't do it. When we see somebody who's being mistreated and we, we just step back and we let it go. By the way, and I said we get back there. Did you notice that Sarah blames Abraham for her situation? It's all your fault. Wait a minute. Time out. It wasn't my idea in the first place. I had nothing to do with this. I felt like I was going along with the plan. But she says it's your fault. Uh, I won't even go any further with that in a husband-wife relationship because there's no need to. But here's the thing. Um, There are times when we need to be quiet, and there are times when we need to speak up. Wisdom should direct us. We must not allow passivity to keep us from saying and doing the hard things when we know we must. And some of you know those situations have come into your life in the last month, maybe, where you know you should have said something. Maybe you should have defended somebody or you should have said, hey, you, you know, here's one just real classic example is, is gossip. You know, sometimes we spend so much time in groups where people are talking about people, and it's usually not in a positive way, and we just kind of sit there and we say, well, I'm not saying anything, so I'm not participating. We are a passive participant in that. Maybe you need to say, hey, you know what? This isn't constructive. This isn't helpful. You know, one of the phrases that I'm starting to use now is don't talk about people Talk to people. If you've got a problem, don't talk to other people about it. Talk to the person you have a problem with. Don't talk about people. Talk to people. All right? We must act when we're, uh, when we're tempted to remain passive. God may be calling us to act out, uh, act on the behalf of others. Leadership sometimes requires us to step up and to say stop. And wouldn't it have been great if Abraham had said, you know, Sarah, we're not going to do that. We're, we're not done trusting God. God has a plan. Let's trust God. Let's wait. God will come through. But he doesn't. So that's the first observation, that, 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 that Abraham was a passive participant. And many times we are in life. And so I want to challenge you as you go through life this week, that you, you recognize and become aware of those times where you're pa- becoming a passive participant, where you, you need to speak up, you need to say something, you need to do something. Secondly, Sarah was dealt self-deceived. I don't think, Sarah, if you were to stop, call a timeout, say, Sarah, can we have an interview right now um, as she's, she's going after uh, Hagar? Um, I don't think she would have thought herself cruel, but she uh, was, she, she's like a lot of people, probably like us. She was self-consciously cruel. Cruelty begins with self-deception. We deceive ourselves. And what I mean by that is most cruelty occurs because of our own self-justification. We play the victim. We're, if we're confronted, we say, look at what they did to me. And we're good at justifying our behavior and because we have blind spots. And sometimes we'll even say to somebody, we'll say, hey, you know, did you hear what such and such said to me? And that you, you, you'll give your version of what they said, and then they'll, they'll say, oh, that's awful. With the idea that it's almost anything short of killing them is justifiable. And 
in a sense, that's what Sarah, what's going on in Sarah's life. Sarah's treatment of Hagar his, and, and her lack of responsibility and remorse for her behavior shows her self-deception. She was blaming Abraham for her treatment of Hagar. Abraham had nothing to do with her treatment of Hagar. That was all on her. And so, but that's what we do, don't we? We justify our behavior because we're, we self-deceive ourselves. We find a reason to be upset. We find a reason to be angry. And it probably was that Hagar was taunting her or making light of that. Look at me. I'm having children. Where's, oh, you don't have any. That's right. Uh, you know, something along those lines. But she may have been doing that. So, so Sarah said, oh, I'm justified in, in, in doing this. Here's the application. If we are honest, there's a little bit of victim in all of us. For example, when we're hurt by someone else in a conflict, it's, it's easy to focus on our own wounds so much that we forget our part of the conflict. Whenever you're in conflict with somebody, generally speaking, uh, there's a percentage of blame that can go on either side, right? So sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 60-40, sometimes it's... But there's a role that you play many times in the conflict you're in. And the Bible says, as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men. And some of us have been hurt by others, and maybe we're on the 5%. But we have put up a fence, a wall, to keep the conflict there. To not deal with it, to not resolve it. And we say, well, they hurt me. And I'm keeping this wall up. The Bible says, no, you can't do that. You need to take your wall down and you need to pray for the day that you can resolve this conflict. You have a responsibility here to do that, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So this passage causes us to pray, help me see my blind spots and help me to see my self-deception. Help me to take full responsibility for my part in this situation. And the problem with Abraham and Sarah was neither one of them wanted to take responsibility for their actions. Sarah blamed Abraham. Abraham said, it was your idea. Don't blame me. Abraham had a choice to make. And this is where we want to close. And we have a similar choice. And it comes down to this. And it really, this hits so many areas of our lives. Am I willing to wait on God Or am I going to take things into my own hand? Am I willing to wait on God or am I going to take things into my own hands? Am I going to take a shortcut? Am I going to work it out for God because he's busy or I've got a better plan or this seems like a good plan? Now, in Galatians 4, and I'd love you to turn there, Galatians chapter 4, Paul challenged his readers to choose how they were going to find salvation. And I want to read in verse uh, 21 through 23. This is Galatians chapter 4. Abraham and Sarah here in this passage. He says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Now, essentially, the context is this. Paul is writing to people who are trying to justify themselves before by keeping the law. That's what they're doing. They're trying to live a life and follow the law good enough that one day God would find them acceptable and they would be, you know, God's children and they're in because they, they did it themselves. God is, or Paul is saying there's a group of you who think that keeping the law will make you right with God. Okay? 
That's what he's saying. Tell me, you who have been under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the and the other one by the free woman, that's Sarah. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born result of the divine promise. And what Abraham's trying to teach the people is in, the, in, in the area of Galatia, the church of Galatia, is he's saying this. You're following the son of Hagar. You're trying to keep the law. You're, tr- you're doing exactly what Abraham did. You're trying to find a human way to God. What Abraham was trying to do is find a human solution to a divine promise. That's what he was doing. He's saying, well, God hasn't come through with a divine promise, so I'll come up with a human solution. And we do that for salvation. We say, well, I've got a human solution for salvation. I'll just keep the law. And as I keep the law, I'll be right with God. And what Paul is saying is, in the same way that that, that Abraham having this son with Hagar did not bring the promise, in the same way keeping the law will not get you right with God. It doesn't bring the promise. The promise came through the promised son. So basically, Abraham was trying to gain the promise by his own methods, having a son, Ishmael, with Hagar. He was humanly trying to get a son to fulfill God's promise. He was helping God out. So the question is, would Abraham save himself, or would he trust the promise of God? Isaac was the son of promise. Would Abraham wait for Isaac? And God, and so essentially it's what it came down to. So Paul's point is this. Paul's point is this. He's saying that if you're trying to help God out with your salvation by being a good person, by following the law, by whatever it is, you are going to fail. God has a promised son. And in the promised son to, to uh, Abraham was Ishmael. And Ishmael came. And you know what? There was another promised son that came, and his name is Jesus. And when we put our trust not in keeping the law or being a good person or following that, but when we put our, son, our, our, our faith in the promised son, Jesus Christ, we find the promises fulfilled in us. We find forgiveness. We find freedom. Because our faith is not in us. It's in Christ. Our faith isn't something we've done for ourselves. It's something that was done for us, given to us. You see, it's interesting. When Abraham and Sarah finally got their son, it says that Sarah was literally, it kind of describes that she and Abraham were so old. They were dead. They were Literally, the idea there is they were sexually dead. There was no way they should have been able to have children, but they did. Because God performed a miracle in Sarah and Abraham. And he brought a child, a promised child, a promised son. And we're going to see as we move along that God is going to take this son, this promised son, and he's going to say to Abraham, I've got another test for you where you will trust me. Will you trust me? And, he says, and he's going to say, I want you to take this promised son now, and I want you to kill him. Sacrifice him for me. We're going to see that when we get to that. The thing we need to apply today. We must choose between salvation by faith or works. That's what Paul's saying. That's what 
Abraham is illustrating. Are we going to help God out? Are we going to try to do it on our own? Are we going to try to do enough, be good enough, follow a plan? Whatever it is, are we going to do that? Or are we going to say, no, no, no. The promise has been given. The promised son has come. His name is Jesus. He gave his life on the cross for us. And the Bible says, whoever called, whoever, I think I'm going to try to be good enough. I think I'm going to follow the law enough. I think I'm going to get a resume enough. Uh, One day I'm going to brag about what I've done. And I want to tell you that God will say, depart from me, I don't know you. But if we come to him and say, you know, I've trusted in the son of the promise who came for me and I didn't deserve it. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died. And because of him, because of the son of the promise, I have been forgiven. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But it was a gift that was given to me freely. And I put my trust and my faith in him. And Jesus will say, and God will say, enter in to the rest that's prepared for you. Paul says this, and this is the last verse we're going to look at. Galatians 4.31 Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Our salvation doesn't come through Hagar, through keeping the law, through trying to get there on our own. It comes through the woman of promise. <laughs> it's not talking about how Sarah was a virtuous, good, perfect woman, or Abraham was a good, virtuous man. It's saying that the promise God used inferior people to bring the descendants down through the years till the great son came, the one son of promise, the one where God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you, not by Abraham, but by his son. And we know him to be Jesus. Have you called upon the Lord tonight? Have you called upon Jesus today? Is he your savior? Or are you trying to work it out? You're trying to help God out. You can't help God in your own salvation. Can't do it. Everyone in this room needs a Savior, and that's why God sent His Son, Jesus, as a rescue party of one. Upon the Lord, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You'll find life. And when you turn, repent, and you say, Jesus, I'm coming to you, His arms will be wide open, waiting to welcome you in. Don't help God out. He doesn't need your help. You need His. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And so, Father, that's so true. We want to do our part. We want to try to do our best to believe as hard and the right things, to be of the right tradition. But yet, it all comes down to this, that we are drowning, we are helpless and hopeless, and you sent a rescue party, a Savior, Jesus. And he dove in the waters of sin that we were drowning in, and He rescued us and put us on the shore and died in the effort. He gave His life as a ransom for many. He paid the price. He is the Son of promise. I pray that everyone in this room might place their trust not in themselves, but in Jesus. And as they place their trust in Jesus... I thank you that they will find life, not just for now, but forevermore. And we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.